Welcome to another episode of Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Every Tuesday and Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're getting together on YouTube Live to broadcast a cold reading of a Shakespeare play. Our actors run the gamut from um, non-professional actors to some of the biggest names in uh, North American classical theater. Um, But what we all have in common is just a really genuine love of Shakespeare and In these uncertain, really genuinely scary times, um, what makes us feel better is getting together and listening to the text and exploring these stories together. So hopefully these episodes will bring you comfort as well, and you'll enjoy them as much as we enjoyed recording them. Um, All of the videos are available on our YouTube channel, which you just search My Entertainment World, um, as well as on our website, myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find the full cast lists, um, as well as lots of other articles and all of our other content that we have going up all the time. Um, also, you should follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's both myentworld, my ENT world. Um, there you'll see, be able to see highlights from all of the recordings, um, as well as you can get the links to watch us live. Um, But we also have all sorts of content created just specifically for those platforms. In addition to, um, that's where you can find links to all of our website content as well, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. The videos do stay up after the live recording, so you can watch them after the fact, or you can catch the audio version in the podcast feed, um, which is you just search My Entertainment World in uh, iTunes, and there you'll find all of our different podcast series where we have the favorite series, the Shakespeare series, the nominee interview series, uh, Corona Cold Reads, Corona Movie Club, Season 1, Episode 1, and the My Entertainment World podcast. Um, Tons of different things happening. There's never been a better time to subscribe to our podcast we have so much content happening right now um but you're here for corona cold reads for shakespeare um so these are cold reads for the most part uh, our actors did not have more than a day maybe two if they're lucky um to look over the text if they wanted to most of them didn't have the chance to so it is just them sitting down and reading it cold um, so you'll you'll be able to hear that there will be some rocky moments and sometimes when we may have to pause and um, wonder why somebody's got their zoom on mute or you know how things happen. Um, we're all adjusting to these new technologies to cope with what we're going through right now. So I hope you enjoy. So today's reading is actually one of my very favorite readings we've done in this entire series. Um, It's King John, which I know sounds like a weird one to have as your favorite, but that's part of the reason why I loved it so much. Uh, We all went into King John, you know, I'd I'd seen it a couple times. I'd never read it through. um, And I I always thought it was so boring. You know, the the, uh, bastard character is fun, but I couldn't really remember anything else about it, even though I'd seen it a couple times. And we all went into it with really low expectations, kind of with that same mentality that we brought with us to like Henry the sixth, where it was a little bit of a trench mentality of like the fun of this is getting through it together and completing this project. Um, but it's not going to be the greatest, most entertaining play. You know, we're not going into our Macbeth reading with this mindset, but we did bring this mindset to King John. Um, and then I think a combination of low expectations. And then I got really lucky with this casting. Like I just kind of every, everything kind of fell into place beautifully, um, it's almost all our regular our regular players. Um, we have Elizabeth Morris is playing Constance, and uh, our King John is Mark Crater. They've been in almost every single read. Um, even and, and our bastard is Laura Hubbard, who is just 
great. I love her. Um, but like they've been in every single read. And so it's always kind of fun to do a reading with just our core group. Um, but there was something about this particular set of casting that kind of fell into place beautifully, a little bit unexpectedly. Some people were playing against type and they just, everything kind of just worked really nicely. Um, and then it was, it's just a beautiful play and none of us really saw that coming. Um, and, and I think the combination of just discovering something new within a canon we all think we know so well, um, combined with it being, um, you know, people we know really well, reading some big parts or against type parts or dif- some, discovering something new in their uh, set of talents as well was just really thrilling and really fun. Um, and as far as like tra- tragic history plays go, we had so much fun with this reading. <laughs> it was great. Um, so I hope that this this um, audio version can convert some of you to Team King John, because King John is one of Shakespeare's great plays that we've all been sleeping on. Who knew? Um, I hope you like it as much as we did. The Life and Death of King John, which is a great play. Um, act 1, Scene 1, King John's Palace. Enter King John, Queen Eleanor, Pembroke, Essex, Salisbury, and others with Chatillon. Now, say, Chatillon, what would France with us? Thus, after greeting, speaks the King of France in my behavior to the majesty, the borrowed majesty of England here. A strange beginning. Borrowed majesty. Silence, good mother. Hear the embassy. Philip of France, in right and true behalf of thy deceased brother Geoffrey's son, Arthur Plantagenet, lays most lawful claim to this fair island and the territories, to Ireland, Poitiers, Anjou, Touraine, Maine, desiring thee to lay aside the sword which sways usurpingly these several titles, and put this same into young Arthur's hand, thy nephew and right royal sovereign. What follows if we disallow of this? The proud control of fierce and bloody war to enforce these rights so forcibly withheld. Here have we war for war and blood for blood. Controlment for controlment. So answer, France. Then take my king's defiance from my mouth, the farthest limit of my embassy. Bear mine to him, and so depart in peace. Be thou as lightning in the eyes of France, for ere thou canst report, I will be there. The thunder of my cannon shall be heard. So, hence. Be thou the trumpet of our wrath and solemn presage of, our, of your own decay. An honorable conduct let him have. Pembroke, look to it. Farewell, Chatillon. Exempt Chatillon and Pembroke. What now, my son? Have I not ever said how that ambitious conscience would not cease of, till that she had kindled France and all the world upon the right and party of her son? This might have been prevented and made whole with ev- with very easy arguments of love, which now the manager of two kingdoms must, with fearful bloody issue, arbitrate. Our strong possession and our right for us. Your strong possession much more than your right, or else it must go wrong with you and me. So much my conscience whispers in your ear, which none but heaven and you and I shall hear. Enter a sheriff. Ah. 
Essex. My liege, here is the strangest controversy come from country to be judged by you that e'er I heard. Shall I produce the men? Let them approach. Our abbeys and our priories shall pay this expedition's charge. What men are you? Your faithful subject, I, a gentleman born in Northamptonshire and eldest son, as I suppose, to Robert Falconbridge, the soldier by the honor-giving hand of Cor de Leon in the night in the field. What art thou? The son and heir to that same Falconbridge. Is that the elder, and art thou the heir? You came not of one mother, then, it seems. Most certain of one mother, mighty king. That is well known. And, as I think, one father. But for the certain knowledge of that truth, I put you o'er to heaven, and to my mother of that I doubt, as all men's children may. Out on thee, rude man. Thou dost shame thy mother and wound her honor in this diffidence. I, madam. No, I have no reason for it. That's my brother's plea, and none of mine. The which if he can prove and pops me out at least from fair five hundred pounds a year, heaven guard my mother, honor, and my land. A good blunt fellow. Why, being younger born, doth he lay claim to thine inheritance? I know not why, except to get the land, but once he slandered me with bastardy. But whether as I be true begot or no, that's till I lay upon my mother's head. But that I am as well begot my leash, fair fall the bones that took the pains for me. Compare our faces and bejudge yourself. If old Sir Robert did beget us both, and were our father and this son like him, oh, old Sir Robert, father on my knee, I give heaven thanks I was not like to thee. Why, what a madcap hath heaven lent us here? He hath a trick of Coeur de Leon's face. The accent of his tongue affecteth him. Do you not read some tokens of my son in the large composition of this man? Mine eye hath well examined his parts and finds them perfect richer. Sirrah, speak, what doth move you to claim your brother's land? Because he hath a half face, like my father. With half that face, would he have all my land? A half-faced stroke, five hundred pound a year. My gracious liege, when that my father lived, your brother did employ my father much. <laughs> well, sir, by this you cannot get my land. Your tale must be how he employed my mother. And once dispatched him in an embassy to Germany, there with the emperor to treat of high affairs touching that time. The advantage of his absence took the king, and in the meantime sojourned at my father's, where how he did prevail I shame to speak. But truth is truth. Large lengths of seas and shores between my father and my mother lay, as I have heard my father speak himself, when this same lusty gentleman was got. Upon his deathbed he by will bequeathed his lands to me, and took it on his death that this my father's son was none of his. And if he were, he came unto the world full fourteen weeks before the course of time. Then, good my liege, let me have what is mine, my father's land, as was my father's will. Sirrah, your brother is legitimate. Your father's wife did, after wedlock, bear him, and if she did play false, the fault was hers. 
which fault lies on the hazards of all husbands that marry wives. Tell me, how if my brother, who, as you say, took pains to get this son, had of your father claimed this son for his? In sooth, good friend, your father might have kept this calf bred from his cow from all the world. In sooth, he might. Then, if he were my brother's, my brother might not claim him, nor your father, being none of his, refuse him. This concludes. My mother's son did get your father's heir. Your father's heir must have your father's land. <laughs> Shall then my father's will be of no force to dispossess that child which is not his? Of no more force to dispossess me, sir, than was his will to get me, as I think. Hmm. Whether hadst thou rather be a falcon bridge and like thy brother to enjoy thy land, or the reputed son of Coeur de Leon, lord of thy presence and no land beside? Madam, and if my brother had my shape and I his, Sir Robert's his like him, and if my leg were two such riding rods, my arms such eel skin stuffed, my face so thin, that in my eyes, my, that in mine ear I durst not stick a rose, lest men should say, look where three farthings go. And to his shape were heir to this land, what I might never stir from this place. I would give it every foot to have this face. I would not be Sir Nob in any case. I like thee well. <laughs> Wilt thou forsake thy fortune, bequeath thy land to him, and follow me? I am a soldier, and now bound to France. Brother, take you my land. I'll take my chance. Your face hath got five hundred pound a year. Yet uh, sell your face for five pence, and tis dear. <clears throat> Madam! It's okay, brother. Madam, I'll follow you unto the death. Nay, I would have you go before me thither. Our country matters give our betters way. What is thy name? Philip, my liege, so is my name begun. Philip, good old Sir Robert's wife's eldest son. From henceforth, bear his name whose form thou bearest. Kneel thou down, Philip, but rise more great. Arise, Sir Richard. And Plantagenet. <laughs> Brother, by the mother's side, give me your hand. My father gave me honor, yours gave land. Now, blessed by the hour, by night or day, when I was got, Sir Robert was away. The very spirit of Plantagenet. I am thy grandam, Richard. Call me so. <laughs> Madam, by chance, but not my truth, but though something about a little from the bride in the window or else over the hatch who dares not stir by day must walk by night and have his have, however men do catch near or far off. Well, one is still well shot, and I am I, however I was begot. Go, Falconbridge, now hast thou thy desire. A landless knight makes thee a landed squire. Come, madam, and come, Richard, we must speed for France. For France, for it is more than need. Brother, adieu. Good fortune come to thee, for thou wast got in the way of honesty. Exent all but bastard. 
foot of honor better than I was. That many a foot of land the worse. How now, can I make any Joan a lady? Good den, Sir Richard, God a mercy fellow. And if his name be George, I'll call him Peter, for new made honor doth forget men's names. For <laughs> it's too respective and too sociable for your conversion. Now your traveler, he and his toothpick at my worship's mess, and when my nightly stomach is sufficed, why then I suck my teeth and catechize my picked men of countries. My dear sir, say I, thus leading on mine elbow, I begin, I shall beseech you, that is question now, and then comes answer like an absey book. Oh, sir, says answer, at your best command, at your employment, at your service, sir. No, sir, says question, I, sweet sir, at yours. And so, ere answer knows what question would, saving in dialogue a compliment and talking of the Alps, the Apennines, the Pyrenean, and the River Po, it draws towards supper in conclusion, so. But this is worshipful society, and it's the mounting spirit like myself, for he is but a bastard to the time that doth not smack of observation. And so am I, whether I smack or no, and not alone in habit and device, exterior form, outward accoutrement, but from the inward motion to deliver sweet, sweet, sweet poison for the age's tooth, which though I will not practice to deceive, yet to avoid deceit, I mean to learn, for it shall strew the footsteps of my rising. But who comes in such haste in riding robes? What woman post is this? Hath she no husband that will take pains to blow a horn before her? Enter Lady Falconbridge and Gurney. Oh, me, it is my mother. How oh, now, good lady, what uh, brings you to court so hastily? Where is that slave, thy brother? Where is he that holds and chase mine honor up and down? My brother Robert, old Sir Robert's son, Colburn the giant, that same mighty man. Is it Sir Robert's son that you seek so? Sir Robert's son, I, thou unreverend boy, he is Sir Robert's son. Why scorns thou at Sir Robert? He is Sir Robert's son, and so art thou. Uh, James Gurney, wilt thou leave us a while? Good leave, good Philip. Philip, Sparrow James, there's toys abroad anon, I'll tell thee more. Exit Gurney. <clears throat> Madam, I was not old Sir Robert's son. Sir Robert might have his pardon me upon Good Friday, and their book is fast. Sir Robert could do well, Mary, to confess. Could he get me? Sir Robert could not do it. We know his handiwork. Therefore, good mother, to whom am I beholding for these limbs? Sir Robert never hoped to make this leg. Hast thou conspired with thy brother, too? That for thine own gain thou shouldst defend mine honor. What means this scorn? Thou must, thou most untoward knave. Knight, <laughs> knight, knight, good mother, basilical like. What I am dubbed, I have it on my shoulder. But, mother, 
I am not Sir Robert's son. I have disclaimed Sir Robert and my land. Legitimation, name and all is gone. Then, good my mother, let me know my father. Some proper man, I hope. Who is it, mother? Hast thou denied thyself a falcon bridge? As faithfully as I deny the devil. <sighs> King Richard, Cordelion was thy father. By long and vehement suit was I seduced, and to make room for him in my husband's bed. Heaven lay not my transgressions to my charge. Thou art the issue of my dear offense, which was so strongly urged past my defense. Now, by this light, were I to get again, madam, I would not wish a better father. Some sins do bear their privilege on earth, and so doth yours. Your fault was not your folly. Needs must you lay your heart at his dispose, subjected tribute to commanding love, against whose fury and unmatched force the aweless lion could not wage the fight, nor keep his princely heart from Richard's hand. He that perforce robs lions of their hearts may easily win a winner woman's. I, my mother, with all my heart, I thank thee for my father, who lives and dares, but Say thou didst not well when I was got, I'll send his soul to hell. Come, lady, I'll show thee to my kin, and they shall say when Richard me begot, if thou hadst said him nay, it had been sin. Who says it was? He lies. I say twas not. Exit. Act two, scene one. France before Angiers. Enter Austria and forces, drums, etc. on one side. On the other, King Philip and his power. Louis, Arthur, Constance, and attendants. <clears throat> Before Angiers, well met, grave Austria. Arthur, that great forerunner of thy blood, Richard, that robbed the lion of his heart and fought the holy wars in Palestine, by this brave duke came early to his grave. And for amends to his posterity at our importance, hither is he come to spread his colors, boy, in thy behalf, and to rebuke the usurpation of thy unnatural uncle, English John. Embrace him, love him, give him welcome hither. God shall forgive you for the Corps de Lyon's death, the rather that you give his offspring life, shadowing their right under your wings of war. I give you welcome with a powerless hand, but with a heart full of unstained love. Welcome before the gates of Angiers, Duke. A noble boy, who would not do thee right? Upon thy cheek lay I this zealous kiss, as seal to this indenture of my love, that to my home I will no more return, till Angiers and the right thou hast in France, together with that pale, that white-faced shore, whose foot spurns back the ocean's roaring tides, and coops from other lands her islanders, even till that England, hedged in with the main, that water-walled bulwark, still secure and confident from foreign purposes, even till that utmost corner of the West salute thee for her king. Till then, fair boy, will I not think of home, but follow arms. Oh, take his mother's thanks, a widow's thanks, till your strong hand shall help to give him strength to make a more requital to your love. The peace of heaven is theirs that lift their swords in such a just and charitable war. Well then, to work. 
Our cannon shall be bent against the brows of this resisting town. Call for our chiefest men of discipline to cull the plots of best advantages. We'll lay before this town our royal bones, wade to the marketplace in Frenchman's blood, but we will make it subject to this boy. Stay for an answer to your embassy, lest unadvised you stain your swords with blood. My Lord Chatillon may from England bring that right in peace, which here we urge in war. And then we shall repent each drop of blood that hot rash haste so indirectly shed. Enter Chatillon. A wonder, lady, lo, upon thy wish, our messenger Chatillon has arrived. But England says, say briefly, gentle lord, we coldly pause for thee. Chatillon, speak. Then turn your forces from this paltry siege and stir them up against a mightier task. England, impatient of your just demands, hath put himself in arms. The adverse winds, whose leisure I have stayed, have given him time to land his legions all as soon as I. His marches are expedient to this town, his forces strong, his soldiers confident. With him along is comes the mother queen, an eight, stirring him to blood and strife. With her, her niece, the Lady Blanche of Spain, with them a bastard of the king deceased, and all the unsettled humours of the land, rash, inconsiderate, fiery voluntaries with ladies' faces and fierce dragon spleens have sold their fortunes at their native homes, bearing their birthrights proudly upon their backs to make hazard of new fortunes here. In brief, a braver choice of dauntless spirits than now the English bottoms have wafted o'er, did nearer float upon the swelling tide to do offence and scathe in Christendom. The interruption of their churlish drums cuts off more circumstance. They are at hand to parley or to fight. Therefore, prepare. How much unlooked for is this expedition? By how much unexpected, by so much we must awake endeavor for defense. For courage mounteth with occasion. Let them be welcome, then. We are prepared. Enter King John, Queen Eleanor Blanche, the bastard lords and forces. Peace be to France, if France and peace permit our just and lineal entrance to our own. If not, bleed, France, and peace ascend to heaven while we, God's wrathful agents, do correct their proud contempt that beats his peace to heaven. Peace be to England, if that war return from France to England, there to live in peace. England we love, and for that, for that England, England's sake, with burden of our armor here we sweat. This toil of ours should be a work of thine, but thou from loving England art so far that thou hast underwrought his lawful king, cut off the sequence of posterity, outfaced infant state, and done a rape upon the maiden virtue of the crown. Look here upon thy brother Geoffrey's face. These eyes... These brows were molded out of his. This little abstract doth contain that large which died in Geoffrey, and the hand of time shall draw this brief into as huge a volume. That Geoffrey was thy elder brother born, and this his son. England was Geoffrey's right, and this is Geoffrey's. In the name of God, how comes it then that thou art called a king when living blood doth in these temples beat, which owe the crown that thou or masterest? From whom? Hast thou this great commission, France, to draw my answer from my articles? From that supernal judge that stirs good thoughts in any breast of strong authority, to look into the blots and stains of right. That judge hath made me guardian to this boy, under whose warrant I impeach thy wrong, and by whose help I mean to chastise it. Alack, 
Thou dost usurp authority. <laughs> Excuse, it is to beat usurping down. Who is it that, you call, that thou dost call usurper, friends? Oh, let me make answer. Thy usurping son. Oh, insolent. Thy bastard shall be king. That thou mayst be a queen and check the world. My bed was ever to thy son as true as thine was to thy husband. And this boy, liker in feature to his father Geoffrey than thou and John in manners, being as like as rain to water or devil to his dam, my boy, a bastard. By my soul, I think his father never was so true begot. It cannot be. And if thou wert his mother. There's a good mother, boy, that blots thy father. Oh, there's a good grandam, boy, that would blot thee. Peace! Hear the crier. What the devil art thou? One that will play the devil, sir, with you. And I may catch your hide and you alone. You are the hare of whom the proverb goes, whose valor plucks dead lions by the beard. I'll smoke your skin coat, and I catch you right. Sarah, look to it. In faith, I will, in faith. Oh, well did he become that lion's robe that did disrobe the lion of that robe. <laughs> it lies as sightly on the back of him as great Alcides shows upon an ass. But ass, I'll take that burthen from your back, or lay on that shall make your shoulders crack. What? Cracker is the same that deafs our ears with this abundance of superfluous breath. Lewis, determine what we shall do straight. Women and fools, break off your conference. King John, this is the very sum of all. England and Ireland, Anjou, Touraine, Maine, in right of Arthur do I claim of thee. Wilt thou resign them and lay down thine arms? My life is soon. I do defy thee, France. Arthur of Britannia, yield thee to my hand, and out of my dear love I'll give thee more than e'er the coward hand of France can win. Submit thee, boy. Come to thy grandam, child. Do, child, go to it, grandam, child. Give grandam kingdom. And it, Grandam, will give it a plum, a cherry, and a fig. There's good, Grandam. My mother, peace. I would that I were low in my grave. I am not worth this coil that's made for me. His mother shames him so, poor boy. He weeps. No shame upon you, whether she does or no. His grandam's wrongs, and not his mother's shames, draws those heaven-moving pearls from his poor eyes, which heaven shall take in nature of a fee. Ay, with these crystal beads heaven shall be bribed to do him justice and revenge on you. Thou monstrous slanderer of heaven and earth! Thou monstrous injurer of heaven and earth! Call not me slanderer! Thou and thine usurp the dominations, royalties, and rights of this oppressed boy. This is thy eldest son's son, infortunate in nothing but in thee. 
Thy sins are visited in this poor child. The canon of the law is laid on him, being but the second generation removed from thy sin-conceiving womb. Bedlam, have done. I have but this to say, that he is not only plagued for her sin, but God hath made her sin and her the plague on this removed issue. Plague for her and with her plague. Her sin is his injury. Her injury, the beetle to her sin, all punished in the person of this child, and all for her. A plague upon her. Oh, unadvised scold, I can produce a will that bars the title of thy son. I who doubts that? A will, a wicked will, a woman's will, a cankered grandam's will. Peace, lady, pause, or be more temperate. It ill beseems this presence to cry aim to these ill-tuned repetitions. Some trumpets summon hither to the walls these men of Angiers. Let us hear them speak whose title they admit, Arthur's or John's. Trumpet sound, enter certain citizens upon the walls. Who is it that hath warned us to these walls? Tis France, for England. England, for itself. You, men of Angiers, and my loving subjects. You loving men of Angiers, Arthur's subjects. Our trumpet called you to this gentle parl. For our advantage. Therefore... Hear us first. These flags of France that are advanced here before the eye and prospect of your town have hither marched to your endangerment, endangerment. The cannons have their bowels full of wrath, and ready mounted are they to spit forth their iron indignation against your walls. All preparation for a bloody siege, all merciless proceeding by these French, confronts your city's eyes, your winking gates, and but for our approach, those sleeping stones that as a waste doth girdle you about by the compulsion of their ordinance by this time from their fixed beds of lime had been dishabited and wide havoc made for bloody power to rush upon your peace. But on the sight of us, your lawful king, who painfully with much expedient march have brought a countercheck before your gates, to save unscratched your city's threatened cheeks, behold the French amazed vouchsafe a parley. And now, instead of bullets wrapped in fire, to make a shaking fever in your walls, they shoot but calm words folded up in smoke to make a faithless error in your ears, which trust accordingly, kind citizens, and let us in. Your king, whose labored spirits, forwearied in this action of swift speed, crave harborage within your city walls. When I have said, make answer to us both. Lo, in this right hand, whose protection is most divinely vowed upon the right of him it holds, stands young Plantagenet, son to the elder brother of this man, and king o'er him and all that he enjoys. For this downtrodden equity, we tread in warlike march these greens before your town, being no further enemy to you than the constraint of hospitable zeal in the relief of this oppressed child, religiously provokes. Be pleased, then, to pay that duty which you truly owe to the two that owes it, namely this young prince. And then our arms, like to a muzzled bear, save in aspect, hath all offence sealed up, 
Our cannon's malice vainly shall be spent against the invulnerable clouds of heaven, and with a blessed and unvexed retire, with unhacked swords and helmets all unbruised, we will bear home that lusty blood again, which here we came to spout against your town, and leave your children, wives, and you in peace. But if you fondly pass our proffered offer, tis not the rounder of your old face walls can hide you from our messengers of war, though all these English and their discipline were harbored in their rude circumference. Then tell us, shall your city call us Lord in that behalf which we have challenged it? Or shall we give the signal to our rage and stalk in blood to our possession? In brief, we are the King of England's subjects. For him and in this right, we hold this town. Acknowledge then the king and let me in. That we cannot, but he that proves the king to him we will prove loyal. Till that time have we rammed up our gates against the world. Doth not the crown of England prove the king? And if not that, I bear you witness twice 15,000 hearts of England's breed. And bastards and else to verify our title with their lives. As many and as well-born bloods as those. Some bastards too. Stand in his face to contradict his claim. Till you compound whose right is worthiest, we for the worthiest hold the right from both. Then God forgive the sin of all those souls that to their everlasting residence before the dew of evening fall shall fleet in dreadful trial of our kingdom's king. Amen. Amen. Mount Chevaliers to arms. St. George that swings the dragon and Erson sits on horseback at mine hostess's door. Teach us some fence. Sirrah, were I at home at your den, Sirrah, with your lioness, I would set an ox head to your lion's hide and make a monster of you. Peace. No more. Oh, tremble before you hear the lion roar. Up higher to the plain, where we'll set forth in best appointment all our regiments. Speed then, to take advantage of the field. It shall be so, and at the other hill command the rest to stand. God in our right! Exunt, here after excursions enter the Herald of France with trumpets to the gate. You men of Angers, open wide your gates, and let young Arthur, Duke of Britannia, in who by the hand of France this day hath made much work for tears in many an English mother, whose sons lie scattered on the bleeding ground. Many a widow's husband groveling lies, coldly embracing the discolored earth, and victory with little loss doth play upon the dancing banners of the French, who are at hand triumphantly displayed to enter conquerors and to proclaim Arthur of Britannia, England's king and yours. Enter English Herald with trumpet. Rejoice, ye men of Angiers, ring your bells. King John, your king and England's doth approach, commander of this hot, malicious day. Their armors that marched here so hench silver bright, hither return all gilt with Frenchmen's blood. There's stuck no plume in any English crest that is removed by a staff of France. Our colors do return in those same hands that did display them when we first marched forth. And, like a troop of jolly huntsmen, come our lusty English, all with purpled hands, dyed in the dying slaughter of their foes. 
open your gates and give the victors way. Heralds, from off our towers we might behold from first to last the onset and retire of both your armies, whose equality by our best eyes cannot be censured. Blood hath brought blood, and blows have answered blows. Strength matched with strength, and power confronted power. Both are alike, and both alike we like. One must prove greatest, while they weigh so even. We hold our town for neither, yet for both. We enter King John and King Philip with their powers severally. Friends, has thou yet more blood to cast away? Say, shall the current of our right run on? whose passage, vexed with thy impediments, shall leave his native channel and o'erswell with course, disturb even thy confining shores, unless thou let his silver water keep a peaceful progress to the ocean. England, thou hast not saved one drop of blood in this hot trial more than we of France, rather lost more. And by this hand I swear that sways the earth this climate overlooks. Before we will lay down our just-born arms, we'll put thee down, against whom these arms we bear, or add a royal number to the dead, gracing the scroll that tells of this war's loss with slaughter coupled to the name of kings. Yo, bastard, what's up? A, 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 sorry. Ah, ah Majesty. How high thy glory towers when the rich blood of kings is set on fire. Oh, now doth death line his dead chaps with steel. The swords of soldiers are his teeth, his fangs. And now he feasts, mousing the flesh of men in undetermined differences of kings. Why stand these royal fronts amazed thus? Cry havoc, kings. Back to the stained fields, you equal potents, fiery kindled spirits. Then let confusion of one part confirm the other's peace. Till then, blows, blood, and death. Whose party do the, do the townsmen yet admit? Speak, citizens for England. Who's your king? The king of England, when we know the king. Know him in us that here hold up his right. In us that are our own great deputy and bear possession of our person here, Lord of our presence and jeers and of you. A greater power than we denies all this. Until it be undoubted, we do lock our former scruple in our strong barred gates. Kinged of our fears until our fears resolved be by some certain king purged and disposed. By heaven, these scrolls of Angiers flout you, kings, and stand securely on their battlements, as in a theater, whence they gape and point at your industrious scenes and acts of death. Your royal presences be ruled by me. Do like the mutinies of Jerusalem. Be friends a while, and both conjointly bend your sharpest deed of malice on this town. By East and west of France and England mount their battering cannon charge to the mouths till their soul-fearing clamors have brawled down the flinty ribs of this contemptuous city. I'd play incessantly upon these jades, even till unfenced desolation. Leave them as naked as the vulgar air. That done, dissever your united strengths and part your mingled colors once again, turn face to face and bloody point to point. Then in a moment, fortune shall call forth out of one side her happy minion, to whom in favor she shall give the day and kiss him with glorious victory. How like you this wild counsel, mighty states? 
smacks it not something of the policy. Now by the sky that hangs above our heads, I like it well. France, shall we knit our powers and lay this Angiers even to the ground? Then, after, fight who shall be king of it? And if thou hast the mettle of a king, being wronged as we are by this peevish town, turn thou the mouth of thy artillery, as we will ours, against these saucy walls. And when that we have dashed them to the ground, why then defy each other and pell-mell make work upon ourselves for heaven or hell? Let it be so. Say, where will you assault? We from the west will send destruction into the city's bosom. I from the north? Our thunder from the south shall rain their drift of bullets on this town. Prudent discipline from north to south. Austria and France shoot each other in the mouth. I'll stir them to it. Come, away, away. Uh, 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 Hear us, great kings. Vouchsafe a while to stay, and I shall show you peace and fair face league. Win you the city without stroke or wound. Rescue those breathing lives to die in beds that here come sacrifices for the fields. Persevere not, but hear me, mighty kings. Speak on with favor, we are bent to hear. Uh, That daughter there of Spain, the Lady Blanche, is niece to England. Look upon the years of Louis the Dauphin and that lovely maid. If lusty love should go in quest of beauty, where should he find it fairer than in Blanche? If zealous love should go in search of virtue, where should he find it purer than in Blanche? If love ambiguous sought a match of birth, whose veins bound richer blood than Lady Blanche? Such as she is in beauty, virtue, birth, is the young Dauphin every way complete? If not complete of, say he is not she, and not again wants nothing to name want, if want it be not that she is not he. He is the half part of a blessed man left to be finished by such as she. And she is a fair divided excellence, whose fullness of perfection lies in him. Oh, two such silver currents, when they join, do glorify the banks that bound them in. And two such shores, to such, two such streams made one, two such controlling bounds shall you be kings. To these two princes, if you marry them. This union shall do more than battery can to our fast-closed gates. For at this match with swifter spleen than powder can enforce, the mouth of passage shall we fling wide open and give you entrance. But without this match, the sea enraged is not half so deaf. Lions more confident, mountains and rocks more free from motion. No, not death himself in moral fury, half so peremptory as we to keep this city. (laughs) Here's a stay that shakes the rotten carcass of old death out of his rags. Here's a large mouth indeed that spits forth death and mountains, rocks and seas. Talks as familiarly of roaring lions as maids of thirteen do puppy dogs. What cannoneer begot this lusty blood? He speaks plain cannon fire and smoke and bounce. He gives the bastinado with his tongue. Our ears are cudgeled on a word of his, but buffets better than a fist of France. Zooms, I was never so befumped with words since I first called my brother's father dad. Son, listen, listen to this conjunction. Make, make this match. Give with our niece a dowry large enough, for by this knot 
thou shalt so surely tie thy now unsured assurance to the crown that young green boy shall have no son to write the bloom that promiseth a mighty fruit i see a yielding in the looks of france mark how they whisper urge them while their souls are capable of this ambition lest zeal now melted by the windy breath of soft petition pity and remorse cool and congeal again to what it was why answer not the double majesties this friendly treaty of our threatened town speak england first that hath been forward first to speak into this city what say you if that the dauphin there thy princely son can in this book of beauty read i love her dowry shall weigh equal with the queen for anjou and fair terrain maine poictiers and all that we upon this side of the sea except this city now by us besieged find liable to our crown and dignity shall gild her bridal bed and make her rich in titles honors and promotions as she in beauty education blood holds hand with any princess of the world what taste thou boy look in the lady's face i do my lord and in her eye i find a wonder a wondrous miracle the shadow of myself formed in her eye which being but the shadow of your son becomes a son and makes your son a shadow i do protest i never loved myself till now in fixed i beheld myself drawn in the flattering table of her eye whispers with blanche drawn in the flattering table of her eye hanged in the frowning wrinkle of her brow and quartered in her heart he doth espy himself love's traitor this pity now that hanged and drawn and quartered there should be in love so vile allowed as he my uncle's will in this respect is mine if he see aught in you that makes him like that anything he sees which moves his liking I can with ease translate it to my will, or if you will, to speak more properly, I will enforce it easily to my love. Further, I will not flatter you, my lord, that all I see in you is worthy love. Than this, that nothing do I see in you, though churlish thoughts themselves should be your judge, that I can find should merit any hate. What say these young ones? What say you, my niece? That she is bound in honor still to do, what you in wisdom still vouchsafe to say. Speak then, Prince Dauphin, can you love this lady? Nay, ask me if I can refrain from love, for I do love her most unfeignedly. Then do I give you Volquesson, Touraine, Maine, Poitiers, and Anjou, these five provinces with her to thee, and this addition more, full thirty thousand marks of English coin. Philip of France, if thou be pleased with all, command thy son and daughter to join hands. 
It likes us well. Young princes, close your hands. And your lips, too, for I am well assured that I did so when I was, fir- when I was first assured. Now, citizens of Angiers, ope your gates. Let in that amity which you have made, for at St. Mary's Chapel presently the rites of marriage shall be solemnized. Is not the Lady Constance in this troop? I know she is not, for this match made up her presence would have interrupted much. Uh, where is she and her son? Tell me, who knows? She is sad and passionate at your highness' tent. Oh. By my faith, this league that we have made will give her sadness very little cure. Brother of England, how may we content this widow lady? In her right we came, which we, God knows, have turned another way to our own vantage. We will heal up all, for we'll create young Arthur, Duke of Britannia, and Earl of Richmond and this fair town, we make him Lord of. Call the Lady Constance, some speedy messenger, bid her repair to our solemnity. I trust we shall, if not fill up the measure of her will, yet in some measure satisfy her so that we shall stop her exclamation. Go we as well as haste will suffer us to this unlooked-for, unprepared pomp. Exent all but the bastard. Mad world. Mad kings. Mad composition. John, to stop Arthur's title in the whole, hath willingly departed with a part. And France, whose armor conscience buckled on, whom zeal and charity brought to the field, and God's own soldier rounded in the air with that same purpose changer, that sly devil, that broker that still breaks the pate of faith, that daily break thou, he that wins of all, of kings, of beggars, old men, young men, maids, and who having no external thing to lose but the word made, cheats the poor maid of that, that smooth-faced gentleman tickling commodity. Commodity, the bias of the world, the world who of itself is paced well, made to run upon even ground till this advantage, this Vile drawing bias, this sway of motion, this commodity, makes it take head from all indifferency, from all directions, purpose, course, intent, and this same bias, this commodity, this bob, this broker, this all-changing world, clapped on the outward eye of fickle France, hath drawn him from his own determined aid, from a resolved and honorable war to the most and vile concluded peace. And why rail I on this commodity? But for, because he hath not wooed me yet, not that I have the power to clutch my hand when his fair angels would salute my palm, but my hand, as unattempted yet, like a poor beggar, raileth on the rich. Well, well, I'm a beggar, I will rail and say there is no sin but to be rich. And being rich, my virtue then shall be to say there is no vice but beggary. Since kings break faith upon commodity, gain thee, my lord, for I will worship thee. Exit. Act three, scene one, the French king's pavilion. Enter Constance, Arthur, and Salisbury. Gone to be married. Gone to swear a peace. False blood to false blood join. Gone to be friends. Shall Louis have Blanche and Blanche these provinces? It is not so. Thou hast misspoke, misheard. 
Be well advised. Tell o'er thy tale again. It cannot be. Thou dost but say tis so. I trust I may not trust thee, for thy word is but the vain breath of a common man. Believe me, I do not believe thee, man. I have a king's oath to the contrary. Thou shalt be punished for thus frighting me, for I am sick and capable of fears, oppressed with wrongs and therefore full of fears, a widow, husbandless, subject to fears, a woman naturally born to fears. And though thou now confess thou didst but jest with my vexed spirits, I cannot take a truce, but they will quake and tremble all this day. What dost thou mean by shaking of thy head? Why dost thou look so sadly on my son? What means that hand upon that breast of thine? Why holds thine eye that lamentable room like a proud river peering o'er his bounds? Be these sad signs confirmers of thy words? Then speak again, not all thy former tale, but this one word, whether thy tale be true. As true as I believe you think them false that give you cause to prove my saying true. Oh, if thou teach me to believe this sorrow, teach thou this sorrow how to make me die, and let belief and life encounter so as doth the fury of two desperate men, which in the very meeting fall and die. Louis, Mary, Blanche. Oh, boy, then where art thou? France, friend with England, what becomes of me? Fellow, be gone. I cannot brook thy sight. This news hath made thee a most ugly man. What other harm have I, good lady, done, but spoke the harm that is done, that is by others done? <laughs> Which harm within itself so heinous is, as it makes harmful all that speak of it. I do beseech you, madam, be content. If thou that bidst me be content wert grim, ugly, and slanderous to thy mother's womb, full of unpleasing blots and sightless stains, lame, foolish, crooked, swart, prodigious, patched with foul moles and eye-offending marks, I would not care. I then would be content, for then I should not love thee. No, nor thou become thy great birth, nor deserve a crown. But thou art fair, and at thy birth, dear boy, nature and fortune joined to make thee great. Of nature's gifts thou mayst with lilies boast, and with the half-blown rose. But fortune, oh, she is corrupted, changed and won from thee. She adulterates outwardly with thine uncle John, and with her golden hand hath plucked on France to tread down fair respect of sovereignty. France is a bod to fortune and King John, that strumpet fortune, that usurping John. Tell me, thou fellow, is not France forsworn? Envenom him with words, or get thee gone, and leave those woes alone, which I alone am bound to underbear. Pardon me, madam. I may not go without you to the king's. Thou mayest. 
thou shalt. I will not go with thee. I will instruct my sorrows to be proud, for grief is proud and makes his owner stoop. To me and to the state of my great grief, let kings assemble, for my grief so great that no supporter but the huge firm earth can hold it up. Here I and sorrows sit. Here is my throne. Bid kings come bow to it. Seats herself on the ground. Enter King John, King Philip, Louis, Blanche, Queen Eleanor, the bastard, Austria, and attendants. It's true, fair daughter, and this blessed day ever in France shall be kept festival to solemnize this day, this day the glorious sun stays in his course and plays the alchemist, turning with splendor of his precious eye the meager, cloddy earth to glittering gold. The yearly course that brings this day about shall never see it but a holiday. A wicked day, and not a holy day. What hath this day deserved? What hath it done that it in golden letters should be set among the high tides in the calendar? Nay, rather turn this day out of the week, this day of shame, oppression, perjury. Or, if it must stand still, let wives with child pray that their burthens may not fall this day, lest that their hopes prodigiously be crossed. But on this day let seamen fear no wreck, no bargains break that are not this day made. This day all things begun come to ill end, yea, faith itself to hollow falsehood change. By heaven, lady, you shall have no cause to curse the fair proceedings of this day. Have I not pawned to you, my majesty? You have beguiled me with a counterfeit resembling majesty, which, being touched and tried, proves valueless. You are forsworn, forsworn. You came in arms to spill mine enemy's blood, but now, in arms, you strengthen it with yours. The grappling vigor and rough frown of war is cold in amity and painted peace, and our oppression hath made up this league. Arm, arm you heavens against these perjured kings. A widow cries, be husband to me, heavens. Let not the hours of this ungodly day wear out the day in peace, but ere sunset, set armed discord twixt these perjured kings. Hear me, oh, hear me. Lady Constance, peace. War, war, no peace. Peace is to me a war, O oh Limoges, O oh Austria. Thou dost shame that bloody spoil, thou slave, thou wretch, thou coward, thou little valiant great in villainy, thou ever strong upon the stronger side. Thou fortune's champion that dost never fight, but when her humorous ladyship is by, to teach thee safety. Thou art perjured too and soothest up greatness. What a fool art thou, a ramping fool, to brag and stamp and swear upon my party? Thou cold-blooded slave, hast thou not spoke like thunder on my side, been sworn my soldier, bidding me depend upon thy stars, thy fortune, and thy strength? And dost thou now fall over to my fours? 
Thou wear a lion's hide, doff it for shame, and hang a cast skin on those recreant limbs. Oh, that a man should speak those words to me. And hang a calfskin on those recreant limbs. Thou darest not say so, villain, for thy life. And hang a calfskin on those recreant limbs. We like not this. <laughs> Thou dost forget thyself. Enter Cardinal Pandolf. Here comes the holy legate of the Pope. Hail, you anointed deputies of heaven. To thee... King John, my holy errand is I, Pandolf of fair Milan, Cardinal, and from Pope Innocent, the legate here, do in his name religiously demand why thou against the church, our holy mother, so willfully dost spurn and force perforce Keep Stephen Langton, chosen Archbishop of Canterbury, from the Holy See. This, in our foresaid Holy Father's name, Pope Innocent, I do demand of thee. What earthly name to interrogatories can task the free breath of a sacred king? Thou... Canst not, Cardinal, devise a name so slight, unworthy, and ridiculous to charge me to an answer, as the Pope tell him this tale. And from the mouth of England add thus much more, that no Italian priest shall teethe or poil in our dominions, but as we under heaven are supreme head. So under him, that great supremacy, where we do reign, we will alone uphold without the assistance of a mortal hand. So, tell the Pope, all reverence set apart to him and his usurped authority. Brother of England, you blaspheme in this. Though you and all the kings of Christendom are led so grossly by this meddling priest dreading the curse that money may buy out and by the merit of vile gold dross dust, purchase corrupted pardon of a man who in that sale sells pardon from himself. Though you and all the rest so grossly led this juggling witchcraft with revenue cherished, yet I alone, alone, do me oppose against the Pope and count his friends my foes. And by lawful power that I have, I shall stand cursed and excommunicate. And blessed shall he be that doth revolt from his allegiance to an heretic, and meritorious shall that hand be called, canonized and worshipped as a saint. I takes away by any secret course thy hateful life. Oh, lawful let it be that I have room with Rome to curse a while. Good Father Cardinal, cry thou amen to my keen curses. For without my wrong, there is no tongue hath power to curse him right. There's law and warrant, lady, for my curse. And for mine too. When law can do no right, let it be lawful that law bar no wrong. 
Law cannot give my child his kingdom here. For he that holds his kingdom holds the law. Therefore, since law itself is perfect wrong, how can the law forbid my tongue to curse? Philip of France, on peril of a curse, let go the hand of that archeretic and raise the power of France upon his head, unless he do submit himself to Rome. Looks thou pale, France? Do not let go thy hand. Look to that devil, lest that France repent and by disjoining hands, hell lose a soul. King Philip, listen to the cardinal. And hang a calf skin on his recreant limbs. Well, ruffian, I must pocket up these wrongs, because... Your breeches best may carry them. Philip, what sayest thou to the cardinal? What should he say, but as the cardinal? I bethink you, father, for the difference is purchase of a heavy curse from Rome, or the light loss of England for a friend. Forgo the easier. That's the curse of Rome. Oh, Louis, Louis, stand fast. The devil tempts thee here in likeness of a new, untrimmed bride. The Lady Constance speaks not from her faith, but from her need. Oh, if thou grant my need, which only lives but by the death of faith, that need must needs infer this principle, that faith would live again by death of need. Oh, then, tread down my need, and faith mounts up. Keep my need up and faith is trodden down. The king is moved, it answers not to this. Oh, be removed from him, and answer well. Do so, King Philip, hang no more in doubt. Hang nothing but a calf skin, most sweet lout. I am perplexed, and know not what to say. What canst thou say, but will perplex thee more? If thou stand excommunicate and cursed, Good reverend father, make my person yours, and tell me how you would bestow yourself. This royal hand and mine are newly knit, and the conjunction of our inward souls married in league, coupled and linked together with all religious strength of sacred vows. The latest breath that gave the sound of words was deep-sworn faith, peace, amity, true love between our kingdoms and our royal selves. And even before this truce, but knew before, no longer than we well could wash our hands to clap this royal bargain up of peace. Heaven knows they were besmeared and overstained with slaughter's pencil, where revenge did paint the fearful difference of incensed kings. And shall these hands, so lately purged of blood, so newly joined in love, so strong in both, unyoke the seizure and this kind regret? Play fast and loose with faith? So just with heaven, make such unconstant children of ourselves as now again to snatch our palm from palm, unswear faith sworn, and a marriage bed of smiling peace to march a bloody host and to make a riot on the gentle brow of true sincerity? Oh, holy sir, my reverend father, let it not be so. Out of your grace, devise, ordain, Impose some gentle order, and then we shall be blessed to do your pleasure and continue, friends. All form is formless, order orderless, save what is opposite to England's love. Therefore, to arms. 
Be champion of our church, or let the church, our mother, breathe her curse, a mother's curse, on her revolting son. France, thou mayest hold a serpent by the tongue, a chafed lion by the mortal paw, a fasting tiger safer by the tooth than keep in peace. That end which thou dost hold. I may disjoin my hand, but not my faith. So makest thou faith an enemy to faith. And like a civil war sets oath to oath, thy tongue against thy tongue. Oh, let thy vow first made to heaven First be to heaven performed, that is, to be the champion of our church. What, since thou sworest is sworn against thyself, and may not be performed by thyself? For that which thou hast sworn to do amiss is not amiss when it is truly done, and being not done where doing tends to ill. The truth is then most done, not doing it. The better act of purposes mistook is to mistake again. Though indirect, yet indirection thereby grows direct. And falsehood, falsehood cures. As fire cools, fire within the scorched veins of one who burned. It is religion that doth make vows kept. But thou hast sworn against religion by what thou swearest against the thing thou swearest, and makest an oath the surety for thy truth against an oath. The truth thou art unsure to swear swears only not to be forsworn. Else what a mockery should it be to swear? But thou dost swear only to be forsworn, and most forsworn to keep what thou dost swear. Therefore, thy later vows against thy first is in thyself rebellion to thyself. And better conquest never canst thou make than on thy constant and thy nobler part. Against these giddy, loose suggestions upon which better part our prayers come in, if thou vouchsafe them, but if not, then know the peril of our curses light on thee. So heavy as thou shalt not shake them off, but in despair die under their black weight. Rebellion, flat rebellion. Will it not be? Will not a calfskin stop that mouth of thine? Father, to arms. On thy wedding day? Against the blood that thou hast married? What, shall our feast be kept with slaughtered men? Shall braying trumpets and loud churlish drums, clamors of hell, be measures to our pomp? Husband, hear me. Why, alack, 
how new is husband in my mouth. Even for that name which till this time my tongue did ne'er pronounce. Upon my knee I beg, go not to arms against mine uncle. Oh, upon my knee, made hard with kneeling, I do pray to thee, thou virtuous Dauphin, alter not the doom forethought by heaven. Now shall I see thy love. What motive may be stronger with thee than the name of wife? That which upholdeth him that thee upholds, his honor. Oh, thine honor, Louis, thine honor. Amuse your majesty that seems so cold, when such profound respects do pull you on. I will denounce a curse upon his head. There shall not need. England, I will fall from thee. Oh, fair return of banished majesty. Oh, foul revolt of French inconstancy. France, thou shalt rule this hour within this hour. Oh, time, the clock setter, that bold sexton time, is it as he will. Well then, France shall rue. Suns are cast with blood. Fair day, adieu. Which is the side that I must go with all? I am with both. Each army hath a hand, and in their rage, I having hold of both, they swirl asunder and dismember me. Husband, I cannot pray that thou mayest win. Uncle, I needs must pray that thou mayst lose. Father, I may not wish the fortune mine. Grandam, I will not wish thy fortunes thrive. Whoever wins on that side shall I lose. Assured loss before the match be played. Lady, with me, with me thy fortune lies. There where my fortune lives, there my life dies. Cousin, go draw our puissance together. Exit bastard. France, I am burned up with inflaming wrath, a rage whose heat hath this condition that nothing can allay, nothing but blood, the blood and dearest valued blood of France. Thy rage shall burn thee up, and thou shalt turn to ashes, ere our blood shall quench that fire. Look to thyself, thou art in jeopardy. No more than he that threats. To arms, let's hide! Exent. Scene two, the same. Plains near Angiers. Alarms, excursions, enter the bastard with Austria's head. (sighs) Now, by my life, this day grows wondrous hot. Some airy devil hovers in the sky and pours down mischief. Austria's head. Lie there. While Philip breathes. Enter King John, Arthur, and Hubert. Hubert, keep this boy. Philip, make up. My mother is assailed in our tent and taken, I fear. My lord, I rescued her. Her highness is in safety, fear you not, but how my liege for very little pains will bring this labor to a happy end. Exit. Scene three, the same. Alarms, excursions, retreat. Enter King John, Queen Eleanor, Arthur, the bastard, Hubert, and lords. So shall it be, your grace shall stay behind, so strongly guarded. Cousin, look not sad. 
thy grandam loves thee, and thy uncle will as dear be to thee as thy father was. Oh, this will make my mother die with grief. Cousin, away for England haste before, and ere our coming see thou shake the bags of hoarding abbots, imprisoned angels set at liberty, the fat ribs of peace must be hungry now, be fed upon, use our commission in his utmost force. Bell, book, and candle shall not drive me back when gold and silver beckons me to come on. I leave your highness. Brandam, I will pray if ever I remember to be holy for your fair safety. I kiss your hand. Farewell, gentle cousin. Cuz, farewell. Exit the bastard. Come here, little kinsman. Hark, a word. Come hither, Hubert. Oh, my gentle Hubert, we owe thee much. Within this wall of flesh, there is a soul counts thee her creditor, and with advantage means to pay thy love. And my good friend, thy voluntary oath lives in this bosom, dearly cherished. Give me thy hand. Oh, I had a thing to say, but I, I will fit it with some better time. Uh, by heaven, Hubert, I am almost ashamed to say what good respect I have of thee. I am much bounden to your majesty. Good friend, thou hast no cause to say so yet, but thou shalt have. And creep time ne'er so slow, yet it shall come from me to do thee good. I had a thing to say, but let it go. The sun is in the heaven, and the proud day attended with the pleasures of the world is all too wanton and too full of God to give me audience. If the midnight bell did with his iron tongue and brazen mouth sound on into the drowsy race of night, if this same were a churchyard where we stand and now possessed with a thousand wrongs of it, or if that surely spirit's melancholy had baked thy blood and made it heavy thick, which else runs tickling up and down the veins, making that idiot's laughter keep men's eyes and strain their cheeks to idle merriment, passion, a passion hateful to my purposes. Or if thou, if that thou couldst see without eyes, hear me without thine ears and make reply without a tongue, using conceit alone without eyes, ears, and harmful sounds of words, then in despite of brooded watchful day, I would into thy bosom pour my thoughts. But that... I will not, yet I love thee well, and by my troth, I think thou lovest me well. So well, that what you bid me undertake, though that my death were adjunct to my act by heaven, I would do it. Do not I know thou wouldst. Good Hubert, Hubert, Hubert. <laughs> Throw thine eye on yon young boy. I'll tell thee what, my friend. He is a very serpent in my way, and wheresoever this foot of mine doth tread, he lies before me. Doth, dost thou understand me? Thou art his keeper. And I'll keep him so, that he shall not offend your majesty. Death. My lord? Grave. He shall not live. Enough! <laughs> I could be merry now. Uh, Hubert, I love thee. 
well, I'll not say what I intend for the remember. Madam, fare you well. I'll send those powers over to your majesty. My blessing go with thee. For England, cousin, go. Hubert shall be your man. Uh, attend on you with all true duty. On towards Calais. Ho! <laughs> Exent. Scene four, the same. King Philip's tent. Enter King Philip, Louis, Cardinal Pandolf, and attendants. So by a roaring tempest on the flood, a whole armado of convicted sail is scattered and disjoined from fellowship. Courage and comfort, all yet shall go well. What can go well when we have run so ill? Are we not beaten? Is not Angiers lost? Arthur Tain prisoner? Divers dear friends slain? And bloody England into England gone, or bearing interruption, spite of France? But he hath won, that hath he fortified. So hot a speed with such advice disposed, such temperate order in so fierce a cause, doth want example. Who hath read or heard of any kindred action like to this? Well could I bear that England had this praise, so we could find some pattern of our shame. Oh, lady, you uh, oh. Enter Constance. Oh. Oh, look who comes here, a grave unto a soul, holding the eternal spirit against her will, in the vile prison of afflicted breath. I prithee, lady, go away with me. Lo, now I see the issue of your peace. Patience, good lady. Comfort, gentle Constance. No, I defy all counsel, all redress, but that which ends all counsel, true redress, death, death, oh, amiable, lovely death. Thou odoriferous stench, sound rottenness, arise forth from the couch of lasting night, thou hate and terror to prosperity, and I will kiss thy detestable bones, and put my eyeballs in thy vaulty brows, and wring these fingers with thy household worms, and stop this gap of breath with fulsome dust, and be a carrion monster like thyself. Come, grin on me, and I will think thou smilest, and bust thee as thy wife. Misery's love, oh, come to me. Oh, fair affliction, peace. No, no, I will not, having breath to cry. Oh, that my tongue were in the thunder's mouth. Then, with a passion, would I shake the world and rouse from sleep that fell anatomy which cannot hear a lady's feeble voice, which scorns a modern invocation. Lady, you utter madness and not sorrow. Thou art not holy to belie me so. I am not mad. This hair I tear is mine. My name is Constance. I was Geoffrey's wife. Young Arthur is my son, and he is lost. I am not mad. I would to heaven I were. For then, tis like I should forget myself. Oh, if I could, what grief should I forget? 
Preach some philosophy to make me mad, and thou shalt be canonized, cardinal. For being not mad, but sensible of grief, my reasonable part produces reason how I may be delivered of these woes, and teaches me to kill or hang myself. If I were mad, I should forget my son, or madly think a babe of clouts were he. I am not mad. Too well I feel the different plague of each calamity. Bind up those tresses. Oh, what love I note in the fair multitude of those her hairs. Where but, by, where but by chance a silver drop hath fallen, even to that drop ten thousand wiry friends do glue themselves in sociable grief, like true, inseparable, faithful love sticking together in calamity. Go to England, if you will. Bind up your hairs. Yes, that I will. And wherefore will I do it? I tore them from their bonds and cried aloud, Oh, that these hands could so redeem my son as they have given these hairs their liberty. But now I envy at their liberty and will again commit them to their bonds because my poor child is a prisoner. And Father Cardinal, I have heard you say that we shall see and know our friends in heaven. If that be true, I shall see my boy again. For since the birth of Cain, the first male child, to him that did but yesterday suspire, there was not such a gracious creature born. But now will canker sorrow eat my bud and chase the native beauty from his cheek and he will look as hollow as a ghost as dim and meager as an ague's fit and so he'll die and rising so again when i shall meet him in the court of heaven i shall not know him therefore never never must i behold my pretty arthur more you hold too heinous a respect to grief he talks to me that never had a son. You are as fond of grief as of your child. Grief fills up, grief fills the room up of my absent child, lies in his bed, walks up and down with me, puts on his pretty looks, repeats his words, remembers me of all his gracious parts, stuffs out his vacant garments with his form. Then have I reason to be fond of grief? Fare you well. Had you such a loss as I, I could give better comfort than you do. I will not keep this form upon my head when there is such disorder in my wit. Oh Lord, my boy, my Arthur, my fair son, my life, my joy, my food, my all the world, my widow comfort, and my sorrow's cure. Exit. I fear some outrage, and I'll follow her. Exit. 
because nothing in this world can make me joy. Life is as tedious as a twice-told tale vexing the dull ear of a drowsy man. And bitter shame hath spoiled the world's sweet taste that it yields not but shame and bitterness. Hey, come on. Before the curing of a strong disease, even in the instant of apparent health, the fit is strongest. Evils that take leave, on their departure, most of all so evil. What have you lost by losing of this day? All days of glory, joy, and happiness. Ah, uh, if you had wanted, certainly you had. No, no. When fortune means to men most good, she looks upon them with a threatening eye. Tis strange to think how much King John hath lost in this which he accounts so clearly won. Are not you grieved that Arthur is his prisoner? As hardly as he is glad he hath him. Your mind is all as useful as your blood. Now hear me speak with a prophetic spirit. For even in the breath of what I mean to speak shall blow each dust, each straw, each little rub out of the path which shall directly lead thy foot to England's throne. And therefore, Mark, John hath seized Arthur. And it cannot be that whilst warm life plays in that infant's veins, the misplaced John should entertain an hour, one minute, nay, one quiet breath of rest. A scepter snatched with an unruly hand must be as boisterously maintained as gained. And he that stands upon a slippery place makes nice of no vile hold to stay him up. That John may stand, then Arthur needs must fall. So be it, for it cannot be but so. But what shall I gain by young Arthur's fall? You, in the right of Lady Blanche, your wife, may then make all the claim that Arthur did. And lose it. Life and all, as Arthur did. Ah, how green you are and fresh in this old world. John lays you plots. The times conspire with you. For he that steeps his safety in true blood shall find but bloody safety and untrue. This act, so evilly born, shall cool the hearts of all his people and freeze up their zeal. At none so small advantage shall step forth to check his reign, but they will cherish it. No natural exhalation in the sky, no scope of nature, no distempered day, no common wind, no customed event, but they will pluck away his natural cause and call them meteors, prodigies, and signs abortives, presages and tongues of heaven plainly denouncing vengeance upon John. Maybe he will not touch young Arthur's life, uh, but 
hold him hold himself safe oh, in prison sir, when he shall hear of your approach if that young arthur be not gone already even at this news he dies and then the hearts of all his people shall revolt from him and kiss the lips of unacquainted change and pick strong matter of revolt and wrath out of the bloody fingers ends of john methinks i see this hurly all afoot and oh what better matter breeds for you than i have named the bastard falconbridge is now in england ransacking the church offending charity if but a dozen French were there in arms, there would be as a call to train 10,000 English to their side, or as a little snow tumbled about, anon becomes a mountain. Oh, noble Dauphin, go with me to the king. Tis wonderful that may be wrought out of their discontent, now that their souls are topful of offense. For England go, I will whet on the king. Strong reasons make strong actions. Let us go. If you say I, the king will not say no. Exempt. Act 4, Scene 1, A Room in a Castle. Enter Hubert and Executioners. Heat me these irons hot, and look thou stand within the arras. When I strike my foot upon the bosom of the ground, rush forth and bind the boy, which you shall find with me fast to the chair. Be heedful, hence, and watch. I hope your warrant will bear out the deed. Uncleanly scruples, fear not you. Look to it. Exit executioners. Young lad, come forth. I have to say with you. Enter Arthur. Good morrow, Herbert. Good morrow, little prince. As little prince, having so great a title to be more prince as maybe. You are sad. Uh... Indeed, I have been merrier. Mercy on me. Methinks nobody should be sad but I. Yet remember, when I was in France, young gentlemen would be as sad as night, only for wantonness. <laughs> By my Christendom. So I were out of prison and kept sheep. I should be as merry as the day is long. And so I would be here, but that I got my uncle practices more harm to me. He is afraid of me, and I of him. Uh, is it my fault that I was Jeffrey's son? No, indeed it's not. And I would to heaven, I would to heaven I were your son. So you would love me, Hubert. If I talk to him with his innocent prate, he will walk, awake my mercy which lies dead. <clears throat> Therefore, I will be sudden and dispatch. Are you sick, Hubert? You look pale today. And so if I, I were you were a little sick, I might sit all night and watch with you. I warned I love you more than you do me. 
his words to take possession of my bosom. <clears throat> Read here, young Arthur. Showing a paper. How now, foolish room. Turning dispiteous torture out of door, I must be brief, lest resolution drop out at mine eyes and tender womanish tears. Can you not read? Is it not fair writ? Too fairly, Hubert, for so foul effect. Must you with hot irons burn out both mine eyes? Young boy, I must. And will you? And I will. Have you the heart? When your head did but ache, I knit my handkerchief about your brows. The best I had, a, a princess, wrought at me. And I did never ask it you again. And with my hand at midnight held your head, and like the watchful minutes, to the hour still and anon cheered up the heavy time, saying, what lack you? And where lies your grief? Or what good love may I perform for you? Many a poor man's son would have leaned still and ne'er spoken a loving word to you, but you at your sick service had a prince. Nay, you may think my love was crafty love and call it cunning. Do, and if thou wilt, if heaven be pleased, you must use me ill. And then you must. Will you put out mine eyes? These eyes that never did nor never shall so much as frown upon you? I have sworn to do it. And with hot irons must I burn them out. How <clears throat> but none in this iron age would do it. The iron of itself, though heat red hot, approaching near these eyes, would drink my tears and quench his fiery indignation, even in the matter of mine innocence. Nay, after that, consume away and rest for containing fire to harm mine eye. Are you more stubborn hard than hammered iron? And if an angel should come to me and told me Hubert should put out mine eyes, I would not have believed him. No tongue but Hubert's. Come forth. Re-enter executioners with the cord, irons, etc. Do as I bid you do. Save me, Hubert, save me. My eyes are out even with the fierce looks of these bloody men. Give me the iron, I say, and bind him here. What? Did you be so boisterous rough? I will not struggle. I'll stand stone still. For heaven's sake, Hubert, let me be not bound. Nay, hear me, Hubert, drive these men away. I will not sit as quiet as a lamb. I will not stir, nor wince, nor speak a word, nor look upon the iron angrily. Thrust away these, thrust but these men away, and I'll, I'll forgive you whatever torment you do put me to. Go, stand within, let me alone with him. I am best pleased to be from such a deed. Exempt executioners. I have ventured away, my friend. He hath a stern look, but a gentle heart. Let him come back, for his compassion may give life to yours. Come, boy. Prepare yourself. 
there no remedy? None, but to lose your eyes. Oh, heaven. That there were but a mote in yours, a grain, a dust, and not a wandering hair, an annoyance in that precious sense. And feeling what small things are boisterous there, your vile intent must needs seem horrible. Is this your promise? Go to hold your tongue. Hubert, the utterance of a brace of tongues must needs want pleading for a pair of eyes. Let me not hold my tongue. Let me not, Hubert. Or Hubert, if you will, cut out my tongue. So I may keep mine eyes. Spare mine eyes. Oh, oh, to no use, but still look on you. Well, by my truth, the instrument is cold and would not harm me. I can heat it, boy. No, in good sooth. The fire is dead with grief, being great for comfort, to be used in undeserved extremes. See else yourself. There is no malice in this burning coal. The breath of heaven has blown his spirit out and strewed repentant ashes on his head. But with my breath, I can revive it, boy. And if you do, you will but make it blush and glow with shame of your proceedings, Hubert. Nay, it perchance will sparkle in your eyes and like a dog that is compelled to fight, snatch at his master, the doth tar on him. Oh, things that you should use to do me wrong, deny their office. Only you do lack that mercy which fierce fire and iron extends. Creatures of note for mercy, lacking uses. Well, see to live. I will not touch thine eye for all the treasure that mine uncle owes. Yet I am sworn I did purpose, boy, with this very same iron to burn them out. Now you look like Hubert. All this while you were disguised. Peace, no more, adieu. Your uncle must not know, but you are dead. I'll fill these dogged spies with false reports. And pretty child, sleep doubtless and secure that Hubert, for the wealth of all the world, will not offend thee. Oh, heaven. I thank you, Hubert. Silence, no more. Go closely in with me. Much danger do I undergo for thee. Ixund, scene two, King John's Palace, under King John, Pembroke, Salisbury, and other lords. Here, once again we sit, once again crowned and looked upon, I hope, with cheerful eyes. This once again, but that your highness pleased, was once superfluous. You were crowned before, and that high royalty was ne'er plucked off. The faiths of men ne'er stained with revolt. Fresh expectation troubled not the land with any longed-for change or better state. Therefore, to be possessed with double pump, to guard a title that was rich before, to gild refined gold, to paint the lily, to throw a perfume on the violet, to smooth the ice, or add another hue unto the rainbow, or with taper light to seek the beauteous eye of heaven to garnish, is wasteful and ridiculous excess. But that your royal pleasure must be done, this act is as an ancient tale new told, and in the last repeating troublesome, being urged at a time unseasonable. 
in this, the antique and well-noted face of old, plain old form is much disfigured, and like a shifted wind unto a sail, it makes the course of thoughts to fetch about startles and frights consideration, makes sound opinion sick and truth suspe suspected for putting on so new a fashioned robe. When workmen strive to do better than well, they do confound their skill and covetousness, and oftentimes excusing of a fault doth make the fault the worse by the excuse. As patches set upon a little breach discredit more in hiding of the fault than did the fault before it was so patched. This effect, before you were new crowned, we breathed our counsel, but it pleased your highness to overbear it. And we are all well pleased, since all in every part of what we would doth make a stand at what your highness will. Some reasons of this double coronation I have possessed you with, and think them strong, and more, more strong than lesser is my fear, I shall endue you with. Meantime, but ask what you would have reformed that is not well, and well shall you per perceive how willingly I will both hear and grant your requests. Then I, as one that am, the t that am the tongue of these, to sound the purpose of all their hearts, both for myself and them, but chief of all, your safety, for the which myself and them bend their best studies, heartily request the enfranchisement of Arthur, whose restraint doth move the murmuring lips of discontent to break into this dangerous argument. If what in rest you have in right you hold, why then your fears, which as they say attend the steps of wrong, should move you to mew up your tender kinsman and to choke his days with barbarous ignorance and deny his youth the rich advantage of good exercise. That the time's enemies may not have this to grace occasions, let it be our suit that you have bid us to ask his liberty, which for our goods we do not further ask, then whereupon our wheel, on you depending, counts it your wheel, he have his liberty. Dr. Hubert. Let it be so. I do commit his youth to your direction. Oh, Hubert, what news with you? Taking him apart. This is the man should do the bloody deed. He showed his warrant to a friend of mine. The image of a wicked, heinous fault lives in his eye. That close aspect of his does show the mood of a much troubled breast. And I do fear fearfully believe tis done what we so feared he had a charge to do. The color of the king doth come and go between his purpose and his conscience, like heralds twixt two dreadful battles set. His passion is so ripe it needs must break. And when it breaks, I fear will issue thence the foul corruption of a sweet child's death. We cannot hold mortality's strong hand, good lords. Although my will to give is living, the suit which you demand is gone and dead. He tells us Arthur is deceased tonight. Indeed, we feared his sickness was past cure. Indeed, we heard how near his death he was before the child himself felt he was sick. This must be answered either here or hence. Why do you bend such solemn brows on me? Think you I bear the shears of destiny? Have I commandment on the pulse of life? It is apparent foul play, and to shame that greatness should go, or that greatness should so grossly offer it. So thrive it in your game, and so farewell. Stay yet, Lord Salisbury. I'll go with thee, and find the inheritance of this poor child, his little kingdom of a forced grave, that blood which owed the breadth of all this isle, three foot of it doth hold. 
bad world the while. This must not be thus born. This will break out to all our sorrows, and ere long, I doubt. Excellent lords. They burn in indignation. Oh, I repent. There is no sure foundation set on blood, no certain life achieved by others' death. Enter a messenger. A fearful eye thou hast. Where is that blood that I have seen inhabit in those cheeks? So foul the sky clears not thou to storm. Pour down thy weather. How goes all in France? From France to England, never such a power for any foreign preparation was levied in the body of a land. The copy of your speed is learned by them. For when you should be told they do prepare, the tidings come that they are all arrived. Oh, (laughs) where hath our intelligence been drunk? Where hath it slept? Where is my mother's care that such an army could be drawn in France and she not hear of it? My liege, her ear is stopped with dust. The first of April died your noble mother, and as I hear, my lord, the lady Constance in a frenzy died three days before. But from this rumor's tongue I idly heard, if true or false, I know not. Withhold thy speed. Dreadful occasion, oh, make a league with me till I have pleased my discontented peers. What? Mother dead? Oh, how wildly then walks my estate in France. Under whose conduct came those powers of France that thou for truth givest out our landed here? Under the Dauphin. Thou hast made me giddy with these ill tidings. Enter the bastard and Peter of Pomfret. Thou, what says the world to your proceedings? Do not seek to stuff my head with more ill news, for it is full. But if you be afeard to hear the worst, then let the worst unheard fall on your head. Bear with me, cousin, for I was amazed under the tide, but now I breathe again aloft the flood, and can give audience to any tongue, speak of it what it will. How I have sped among the clergymen, the sums I have collected shall express, but... As I traveled hither through the land, I find the people strangely fantasied, possessed with rumors, full of idle dreams, not knowing what they fear, but full of fear. And here a prophet that I brought with me from forth the streets of Pomfret, whom I found many hundreds treading on his heels, to whom he sung in rude, harsh-sounding rhymes that ere the next ascension day at noon, your highness should deliver up your crown. Thou idle dreamer, wherefore didst thou so? For knowing that the truth will fall out so. Hubert, away with him, imprison him. And on that day at noon, whereon he says, I shall yield up my crown, let him be hanged. Deliver him to safety and return, for I must use thee. Exent Hubert and Peter. Oh, my gentle cousin. Hearest thou the news abroad who are arrived? The French, my lord. Men's mouths are full of it. Besides, I met Lord Bigot and Lord Salisbury with eyes as red as new and kindled fire, and others more going to seek the grave of Arthur, who they say is killed tonight, on your suggestion. Gentle kinsman, 
go and thrust thyself into their companies. I have a way to win their loves again. Bring them before me. I will seek them out. Nay, but make haste. The better foot before. Oh, let me have no subject enemies when adverse foreigners affright my towns with dreadful pomp of stout invasion. Be Mercury, set feathers to thy heels and fly like thought from them to me again. The spirit of time shall teach me speed. Exit. Spoke like a spriteful, spriteful nobleman, gentleman. Go after him, for he perhaps shall need some messenger betwixt me and the peers, and be thou he. With all my heart, my liege. Exit. My mother dead. We enter Hubert. My lord, they say five moons were seen tonight. Four fixed, and the fifth did whirl about the other four in wondrous motion. Five moons! Old men and beldams in the streets do prophesy upon it dangerously. Young Arthur's death is common in their mouths, and when they talk of him, they shake their heads and whisper one another in the ear. And he that speaks doth gripe the hearer's wrist, whilst he that hears makes fearful action with wrinkled brows, with nods, with rolling eyes. I saw a man stand with his hammer thus, the whilst his iron did on the anvil cool, with open mouth swallowing a tailor's news, who with his shears and measure in his hand, standing on slippers which his nimble haste had falsely thrust upon contrary feet, told of a many thousand warlike French that were embattled and ranked in Kent. Another lean, unwashed artificer cuts off his ta- tail and talks of Arthur's death. Why seekst thou to possess me with these fears? Why urgest thou so oft young Arthur's death? death? Thy hand hath murdered him. I had a mighty cause to wish him dead, but thou hast none to kill him. No had, my lord? Why did you not provoke me? It is the curse of kings to be attended by slaves that take their humors for a warrant to break within the bloody house of life and on the winking of authority to understand a law to know the meaning of dangerous majesty when perchance it frowns more upon humor than advised respect. Here is your hand and seal for what I did. Oh, when the last account which heaven and earth is to be made, then shall this hand and seal witness against us to damnation. How oft the sight of means to do ill deeds make deeds ill done. Hadst not thou been by a fellow by the hand of nature marked, quoted, and signed to do a deed of shame. This murder had not come into my mind, but taking note of thy abhorred aspect, finding thee fit for bloody villainy, apt, liable to be employed in danger, I, I faintly broke with thee of Arthur's death, and now to be endeared to a king made it no conscience to destroy a prince. My lord, hadst thou we- but shook thy head or made a pause when I spake darkly what I proposed or turned an eye of doubt upon my face as bid me tell my tale in express words deep shame had struck me dumb made me break off and those thy fears might have wrought fears in me then thou didst understand me by my signs and didst in signs again parlay with sin yea without stop 
It's that thy heart consent, and consequently thy rude hand to act the deed, which both our tongues held vile to name out of my sight, and never see me more. Out of my sight, never see me more. My nobles leave me, and my state is braved even at my gates, with ranks of foreign powers. Nay, in the body of this fleshy land, this kingdom, this confine of blood and breath, hostility and civil tumult reigns between my conscience and my cousin's death. Arm you against your other enemies. I'll make a peace between your soul and you. Young Arthur is alive. This hand of mine is yet a maiden and an innocent hand, not painted with the crimson spots of blood. Within this bosom never entered yet the dreadful motion of a murderous thought. And you have slandered nature in my form, which howsoever rude exteriorly is yet the cover of a fairer mind than to be butcher of an innocent child. Doth Arthur live? Oh, hate thee to pierce, throw this report on their incensed rage and make them tame to their obedience. Forgive the comments that my passion made upon thy feature, for my rage was blind and foul, imaginary eyes of blood presented thee more hideous than thou art. Oh, answer not, but to my Closet, bring the angry lords with all expedient haste. I conjure thee, but slowly run more fast. Exit. Scene three before the castle. Enter Arthur on the walls. The wall is high. And yet I, I will leap down. Good ground. Be pitiful and hurt me not. There's you or none do know me, and if they did, and the ship's boy someone's hath disguised me quite, uh, I'm afraid. <laughs> and yet I'll venture it, if I get down and do not break my limbs, I'll find a thousand ships to get away. Good to die and go, as die and stay. <gasps> leaps down. Oh, oh me. <sighs> my uncle's spirit is in these stones. Heaven take my soul and England and keep my bones. Dies. Enter Pembroke, Salisbury, and Bigot. Lords, I will meet him at St. Edmundsbury. It is our safety, and we must embrace this gentle offer of the perilous tongue. Who brought that letter from the Cardinal? The Count Milan, a noble lord of France whose private with me of the, of the Dauphin's love is much more general than these lines import. Tomorrow morning let us meet him then. Or rather than set forward, for twill be two long days journey, lords, or ere we meet. Once more today, well met, distempered lords. The king by me requests your presence straight. The king hath dispossessed himself of us. We will not line this thin, bestained cloak with our pure honors, nor attend the foot that leaves the print of blood where'er it walks. Return and tell him so. We know the worst. 
Whate'er you think, good words, I think, were best. Our griefs and not our manners reason now. But there is little reason in your grief. Therefore, for reason, you had manners now. Sir, sir, impatience hath his privilege. Tis true to hurt his master, no man else. This is the prison. What is he lies here? Seeing Arthur. Oh, death, made proud with pure and princely beauty. The earth hath, the earth had not a hole to hide this deed. Murder, as hating what himself hath done, doth lay it open to urge on revenge. Or when he doomed this beauty to a grave, found it too precious princely for a grave. Sir Richard, what think you? Have you beheld, or have you read, or heard, or could you think, or do you almost think, although you see that you do that you do see? Cold thought without this object form such another. This is the very top, the height, the crest, or crest unto the crest of murderer's arms. This is the bloodiest shame, the wildest savagery, the vilest stroke that ever wall-eyed wrath or staring rage presented to the, te- the, to the tears of soft remorse. All murders past do stand excused in this, and this, so sole and so unmatchable, shall give a holiness, a purity, to the yet unbegotten sin of times, and prove a deadly bloodshed but a jest, exampled by this heinous spectacle. It is a damned and bloody work, the graceless action of a heavy hand, if that it be the work of any hand. If that it be the work of any hand, we had a kind of light what would ensue. It is the shameful work of Hubert's hand, the practice and the purpose of the king, from whose obedience I forbid my soul, kneeling before this ruin of sweet life and breathing to his breathless excellence the incense of a vow, a holy vow, never to taste the treasures of the the pleasures of the world, never to be infected with delight, nor conversant with ease and idleness, till I have set a glory to this hand by giving it to the worship of revenge. Our souls religiously confirm thy words. Enter Hubert. Lords, I am hot with haste in seeking you. Arthur doth live. The king hath sent for you. Oh, he is old and blushes not at death. Avant, thou hateful villain, get thee gone. I am no villain. Must I rob the law? Your sword, your sword is bright, sir. Put it up again. Not till I sheathe it in a murderer's skin. Stand back, Lord Salisbury, stand back, I say. By heaven, I think my sword's as sharp as yours. I would not have you, Lord, forget yourself, nor tempt the danger of my true defense lest I, by making of your marking of your rage, forget your worth, your greatness, and nobility. Out, dunghill. Darest thou brave, O nobleman? Not for my life, but yet I dare defend my innocent life against an emperor. Thou art a murderer. Do not prove me so. Yet I am none. Whose tongue soe'er speaks false, not truly speaks. Who speaks not truly lies. Cut him to pieces. Keep the peace, I say. Stand by, or I shall gall you, Falconbridge. Thou wert better gall the devil, Salisbury. If thou but frown on me, or stir thy foot, or teach thy hasty spleen to do me shame, I'll strike thee dead. Put up thy sword betime, or I'll so maul you. 
and your toasting iron that you shall think the devil is come from hell. What wilt thou do, renowned in Falconbridge? Second, a villain and a murderer? Lord Bigot, I am none. Who killed this prince? Tis not an hour since I left him. Well, I honored him. I loved him and will weep my date of life out for his sweet life's loss. Trust not those cunning waters of his eyes, for villainry is not without such room. And he, long traded in it, makes it seem like rivers of remorse and innocence, and innocency. Away with me, all you whose souls abhor the uncleanly savors of a slaughterhouse, for I am stifled with this smell of sin. Away toward Bury, to the Dauphin there. There tell the king he may inquire us out. Exent lords. Here's a good world. Knew you of this fair work beyond the infinite and boundless reach of mercy? If thou didst the deed of death, earth how damn it, humored. Do but hear me, sir. <laughs> I'll tell thee what. Thou art damned, thou art more deep damned than Prince Lucifer. There is not yet so ugly a fiend of hell as thou shalt be if thou didst kill this child. Upon my soul. If thou didst but consent to this cruel act, do but despair. And if thou wantest accord the smallest thread that ever spider twisted from her womb will serve to strangle thee, a rush will be a beam to hang thee on, or wouldst thou drown thyself? Put little, but a little water in a spoon, and it shall be as all the ocean enough to stifle such a villain up. <laughs> I do suspect thee very grievously. If I enact consent or sin of thought, be guilty of the stealing that sweet breath which was embounded in this beauteous clay, let hell want pains enough to torture me. I left him well. Go. Bear him in thine arms. I am amazed, methinks, and lose my way among the thorns and dangers of this world. How easy dost thou take all England up, and port this morsel of dead royalty, the Life, the right, and truth of all this realm is fled to heaven. And England now is left to tug and scramble and depart by the teeth, the unowed interest of proud, swelling state. Now for the bare-picked bone of majesty doth dogged war bristle his angry crest and snarleth in the gentle eyes of peace. Now powers from home and discontents at home meet in one line and vast confusion waits. As doth a raven on a sick fallen beast, the imminent decay of a rusted pomp. Now happy he whose cloak and cincture can hold out this tempest. Bear away that child and follow me with speed. All to the king. A thousand businesses are brief in hand, and heaven itself doth frown upon the land. Exit Act 5, Scene 1, King John's Palace. Enter King John, Cardinal Pandolf, and attendants.
Thus have I yielded up into your hand the circle of my glory. Giving the crown. Take again from this my hand as holding of the Pope your sovereign greatness and authority. Now, keep your holy word. Go, meet the French, and from his holiness, use all your power to stop their marches, for we are inflamed. Our discontented counties do revolt. Our people quarrel with obedience, swearing allegiance and the love of soul to stranger blood, to foreign royalty. This inundation of mistempered humor rests by you only to be qualified. Then pause not, for the present time so sick that present medicine must be ministered or overthrow incurable ensues. There was my breath that blew this tempest up upon your stubborn usage of the Pope, but since you are a gentle curvent convertite, my tongue shall hush against this storm of war and make fair weather in your blustering land. On this ascension day, remember well upon your oath at a service at a Pope, go I to make the French lay down their arm. Exit. Is this ascension day? Did not the prophet say that before Ascension Day, at noon, my crown I should give off. <laughs> Even so, I have. I did suppose it should be on constraint. But heaven be thanked, it is but voluntary. Enter the bastard. All Kent hath yielded. Nothing there holds out but Dover Castle. London hath received, like a kind host, the Dauphin and his powers. Your nobles will not hear you, but are gone to offer service to your enemy, and wild amazement hurries up and down the little number of your doubtful friends. Would not my lords return to me again after they heard young Arthur was alive? They found him dead and cast into the streets, an empty casket where the jewel of life by some damned had was robbed and taken away. Well, the villain Hubert told me he did live! So on my soul, he did for aught he knew, but wherefore do you droop? Why look you sad? Be great and act as you have been in thought. Let not the world see fear and sad distrust to govern the motion of a kingly eye. Be stirring as the time. Be fire with fire. Threaten the threatener and... Outface the brow of bragging Howard, so shall inferior eyes that borrow their behaviors from the great grow great by your example and put on the dauntless spirit of resolution. Away, and glister like the god of war when he intendeth to become the field. Show boldness and aspiring confidence. But shall they seek the lion in his den and fright him there and make him tremble there? Oh, let it not be said. Forge and run to meet displeasure farther from the doors and to grapple with him ere he comes so nigh. The legate of the Pope hath been with me, and I have made a happy peace with him, and he hath promised to dismiss the powers led by the Dauphin. Oh, inglorious league! Shall we upon the footing of our land send fair play orders and make 
compromise, insinuation, parlay, and base truce to arms invasive? Shall a beardless boy, a cockered, silken, wanton, brave our fields and flush his spirit in a warlike soil, mocking the air with colors idly spread and find no check? Let us, my liege, to arms. Perchance the cardinal cannot make your peace, or if he do, let it at least be said that we had a purpose of defense. Have thou the ordering of this present time. <laughs> Away then, with good courage. Yet I know our party will, may we'll meet a prouder foe. Exempt. Scene two, Louise Camp at Edmondsbury. Enter in arms, Louise Salisbury, Mellon, Pembroke, Bigot, and soldiers. <clears throat> My Lord Mellon, let this be copied out and keep it safe for our remembrance. Return the precedence to these lords again, that having our fair order written down, both they and we, perusing o'er these notes, may know wherefore we took the sacrament and keep our faiths firm and inviolable. Upon our sides, it shall never be broken. And, noble Dauphin, albeit we swear a voluntary zeal and an unurged faith to your proceedings, yet believe me, Prince, I am not glad that such a sort of time should seek a plaster by condemned revolt and heal the inveterate canker of one wound by making many. It grieves my soul that I must draw this metal from my side to be a widow-maker. And there, where honorable rescue and defense cries out upon the, na upon the name of Salisbury, but such is the infection of the time, that for the health and physic of our right, we cannot deal but with the very hand of stern injustice and confused wrong. And it is not pity, oh my grieved friends, that we, the sons and children of this isle, were born to see so sad an hour as this, wherein we step after a stranger march upon her gentle bosom and fill up her enemy's ranks. I must withdraw and weep upon the spot of this enforced cause to grace the gentry of a land remote and follow unacquainted colors here. What here? O nation that thou couldst remove that Neptune's, Neptune's arms who clippeth thee about would bear thee from the knowledge of thyself and grapple thee unto a pagan shore where these two Christian armies might combine the blood of malice in a vein of league and not to spend it so unneighborly. A noble temper dost thou show in this and great affections wrestling in thy bosom doth make an earthquake of nobility. But what a noble combat hast thou fought between compulsion and a brave respect let me wipe off this honorable dew that silverly doth progress on thy cheeks. My heart hath melted at a lady's tears, being an ordinary inundation. But this effusion of such manly drops, this shower blown up by tempest of the soul, startles mine eyes and makes me more amazed than had I seen the vaulty top of heaven figured quite o'er with burning meteors. Lift up thy brow, renowned Salisbury and with a great heart heave away the storm. Commend these waters to those baby eyes that never saw the giant world enraged, nor met with fortune other than at feasts, full of warm blood, of mirth, of gossiping. Come, come, 
for thou shalt thrust thy hand as deep into the purse of rich prosperity as Louis himself. So noble shall you all that knit your sinews to the strength of mine. And even there, methinks, an angel spake. Enter Cardinal Pandolf. Look where the holy legate comes apace to give us warrant from the hand of heaven and on our actions set the name of right with holy breath. Hail, noble prince of France. The next is this, King John has reconciled himself to Rome. His spirit has come in, that so stood out against the holy church. The great metropolis and sea of Rome, therefore, by threatening colors, now wind up and tame the savage spirit of wild war, that like a lion fastened up at hand, it may lie gently at the foot of peace and be no further harmful than in show. Your grace shall pardon me. I will not back. I am too high born to be propertied, to be a secondary at control, or useful serving man and instrument to any sovereign state throughout the world. Your breath first kindled the dead coals of war between this chastised kingdom and myself, and brought in matter that should feed this fire. And now tis far too huge to be blown out with that same weak wind which enkindled it. You taught me how to know the face of right, acquainted me with interest to this land, yea, thrust this enterprise into my heart. And come ye now to tell me John hath made his peace with Rome. What is that peace to me? I, by the honor of my marriage bed, after young Arthur, claim this land for mine. And now it is half conquered, must I back because that John hath made his peace with Rome? Am I Rome's slave? What penny hath Rome borne? What men provided? What munition sent to underprop this action? It's not I that undergo this charge? Who else but I? And such as to my claim are liable, sweat in this business and maintain this war. Have I not heard these islanders shout out, Vive le Roy? As I have banked their towns, have I not here the best cards for the game to win this easy match played for a crown? And shall I now give o'er the yielded set? No. No on my soul. It shall never be said. Uh, you look but on the outside of this work. Outside or inside, I will not return till my attempt so much be glorified as to my ample hope was promised before I drew this gallant head of war and called these fiery spirits from the world to outlook conquest and to win renown, even in the jaws of danger and of death. Trumpet sounds. What lusty trumpet thus to summon us? Enter the bastard attended. According to the fair play of the world, let me have audience. I am sent to speak. My holy lord of Milan, from the king, I come to learn you how you, learn how you have dealt for him. And as we answer, I do know the scope and warrant limited unto my tongue. Uh, the Dauphin is too willful opposite and will not temporize with my entreaties. He flatly says, He'll not lay down his arms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
By all the blood that ever fury breathes, the youth says well. Now, hear our English king, for thus his royalty doth speak in me. He is prepared, and reason to he should, this apish and unmannerly approach, this harnessed mask and unadvised revel, this king doth smile at and is well prepared to whip the dwarfish war these pygmy arms from out the circle of his territories. That hand which had the strength even at your door to cudgel you and make you take the hatch to dive like buckets in concealed wells, to crouch in litter of your stable planks, to lie like ponds locked up in chests and trunks, to hug with swine, to seek sweet safety out in vaults and prisons, and to thrill and shake even at the crying of your nation's crow, thinking his voice an armed Englishman. Shall that Victorious hand, be feeble tear that in your chambers gave you chastisement? No. No, the gallant monarch is in arms. And like an eagle, o'er his airy towers to souse annoyance that comes near his nest. And you degenerate, you ingrate revolts. You Nero's ripping up the womb of your dear mother England blush for shame. For your own ladies and pale-visaged maids, like Amazons, come tripping after drums. Their thimbles into armed gauntlets change, their needles into lances, and their gentle hearts to fierce and bloody inclination. There end thy brave, and turn thy face in peace. We grant thou canst outscold us. Fare thee well. We hold our time too precious to be spent with such a brabbler. Uh... Give me leave to speak. No, I will speak. We will attend to neither. Strike up the drums and let the tongue of war plead for our interest and our being here. Indeed. Your drums being beaten will cry out and so shall you being beaten. Do but start an echo with the clamor of thy drum and even at hand, a drum is ready braced. It shall reverberate, all as loud as thine. Send but another, and another shall, as loud as thy rattle with the welkin's ear, and mock the deep-mouthed thunder, for at hand, not trusting to this halting legate here, whom he hath used rather for sport than need is warlike John, and in his forehead sits a bare-ribbed death, whose offices is this day to Feast upon whole thousands of the French. Strike up our drums and find this danger out. Thou shalt find it, Dauphin. Do not doubt. Exit. Scene three, the field of battle. Alarums enter King John and Hubert. How goes the day with us? Oh, tell me, Hubert. Badly, I fear. How fares your majesty? This fever that hath troubled me so long lies heavy on me. Oh, my heart is sick. Enter a messenger. My lord, your valiant kinsman Falconbridge desires your majesty to leave the field and send him word by me which way you go. Tell him towards Swinstead, to the abbey there. Be of good comfort. For the great supply that was expected by the Dauphin here are wrecked three nights ago on Goodwin Sands. 
This news was brought to Richard, but even now, the French fight coldly and retire themselves. Ay, me. This tyrant fever burns me up. Will not let me welcome this good news. Set on toward Swinstead to my litter straight. Weakness possesseth me, and I am faint. Exent. Scene four, and another part of the field. Enter Salisbury, Pembroke, and Bigot. I did not think the king so stored with friends. Up once again, put spirit in the French. If they miscarry, we miscarry too. That misbegotten devil Falconbridge, in spite of spite alone, upholds the day. They say King John, sore sick, hath left the field. Enter Melon, wounded. Lead me to the revolts of England here. When we were happy, we had other names. It is the Count Melon. Wounded to death. Fly. Fly, noble English, you are bought and sold. Unthread of the rude eye of rebellion and welcome home again, discarded faith. Seek out King John and fall before his feet. For if the French be lords of this loud day, he means to recompense the pains you take by cutting off your heads. Thus hath he sworn, and I with him and many more with me upon the altar of St. Edmundsbury, even on that altar where we swore to you dear amity and everlasting love. May this be possible? May this be true? Have I not hideous death within my view, pertaining but a quantity of life which bleeds away even as a form of wax, resolveth from his figure against the fire? What in the world should make me now deceive, since I must lose lose the use of all deceit? Why should I then be false, since it is true that I must die here and live hence by truth? I say again, if Lewis do win the day, he is forsworn. If e'er those eyes of you behold another day break in the east, but even this night, whose black contagious breath already smokes about the burning crest of the old feeble and day-wearied sun, even this ill night, your breathing shall expire, paying the fine of raided treachery, even with a treacherous fine of all your lives. If Lewis be your assistance, win the day. Commend me to one Hubert with your king, for love of him and this respect besides that my grandsire was an Englishman, awakes my conscience to confess all this. In lieu whereof, I pray you, bear me hence, and from forth the noise and rumor of the field, where may I think the remnant of my thoughts in peace, and part this body and my soul with contemplation and devout desires. We do believe thee. And beshrew my soul, but I do love the favor in the form of this most fair occasion by which we will untread the steps of a damned flight and like a baited and retired flood, leaving our rankness and irregular course stoop low within those bounds we have overlooked and cabby run on in obedience even to our ocean, to our great King John. My arm shall give thee help to bear thee hence for I do see the cruel pangs of death right in thine eye. Away, my friends, new flight, and happy newness that intends old right. Exit leading off Melon. Scene five, the French camp, enter Louis and his train. Son of heaven, methought was loath to set, but stayed and made the western welkin blush when English measures backward their own ground in faint retire. Oh, bravely came we off, 
when with a volley of our needless shot after such bloody toil, we bid good night and wound our tattering colors clearly up, last in the field and almost lords of it. Enter a messenger. Where is my prince, the Dauphin? Here, what news? The Count Melon is slain. The English lords by his persuasion are, all, are again fallen off and your supply, which you have wished so long, are cast away and sunk on Goodwin Sands. Ah, foul, shrewd news. Beshrew thy very heart. I did not think to be so sad tonight as this hath made me. Who was he that said King John did fly an hour or two before the stumbling night did part our weary powers? Whoever spoke it, it is true, my lord. Well, Keep good quarter and good care tonight. The day shall not be up so soon as I to try the fair adventure of tomorrow. Exit. Scene six, an open place in the neighborhood of Swinstead Abbey. Enter the bastard and Hubert separate, severally. Who's there? Speak, ho. Speak quickly or I shoot. A friend, what art thou? Of the part of England. Whither dost thou go? What's that to thee? Why may not I demand of thine affairs as well as thou of mine? Hubert, I think. Thou hast a perfect thought. I will upon all hazards well believe thou art my friend, and thou knowest my tongue so well. Who art thou? Who thou wilt, and if thou please, thou mayst befriend me so much as to think I come one way of the Plantagenets. <sighs> Unkind remembrance. Thou and eyeless knight have done me shame. Brave soldier, pardon me that any accent breaking from thy tongue should scape the true acquaintance of mine ear. Come, come, sans compliment, but news abroad. Why, here walk I in the black brow of night to find you out. Brief then, and what's the news? Oh, my sweet sir, news fitting to the night. Black, fearful, comfortless, and horrible. Show me the very wound of this ill news. I am no woman. I'll not swoon at it. The king, I fear, is poisoned by a monk. I left him almost speechless and broke out to acquaint you with this evil that you might the better arm you to the sudden time than if you had at leisure known of this. How did he take it? Who did taste to him? A monk, I tell you, a resolved villain whose bowels suddenly burst out. The king yet speaks, and peradventure may recover. Who didst thou leave to tend his majesty? Why, know you not? The lords are all come back, and brought Prince Henry in their company, at whose request the king hath pardoned them, and they are all about his majesty. Withhold thine indignation, mighty heaven, and tempt us not to bear above our power. I'll tell thee, Hubert. Half my power this night, passing these flats, are taken by the tide. These Lincoln washes have devoured them. Myself, well-mounted, hardly have escaped. Away before, conduct me to the king. I doubt he will be dead or ere I come. Exunt. Scene 7. The Orchard in Swinstead Abbey. Enter Prince Henry, Salisbury, and Bigot. It is too late. The life of all his blood is touched corruptively, and his pure brain, which some suppose the soul's frail dwelling house, doth by the idle comments that it makes foretell the ending of mortality. Enter Pembroke. 
His Highness yet doth speak and holds belief that being brought into the open air, it would allay the burning quality of that fell poison which assaileth him. Let him be brought into the orchard here. Doth he still rage? Exit bigot. He is more patient than when you left him. Even now he sung. O vanity of sickness! Fierce extremes in their continuance will not feel themselves. Death, having preyed upon the outward parts, leaves them invisible, and his siege is now against the mind, the which he pricks and wounds with many legions of strange fantasies, which in their throng and press to that last hold confound themselves. Tis strange that death should sing. I am the signet to this pale, faint swan, who chants a doleful hymn to his own death, and from the organ pipe of frailty sings his soul and body to their lasting rest. Be of good comfort, Prince, for you are born to set a form upon that indigest which he hath left so helpless and so rude. Enter attendants and bigot carrying King John in a chair. Aye, marry now my soul hath elbow room. It would not out at windows nor at doors. There is so hot a summer in my bosom that all my bowels crumble up to dust. I am a scribbled form drawn with a pen upon a parchment and against this fire do I shrink up. How fares your majesty? Poisoned, ill fare. Dead, forsook, cast off, and none of you will bid the winter come to thrust his icy fingers in my maw, nor let my kingdom's rivers take their course through my burned bosom, nor entreat the north to make his bleak winds kiss my parched lips and comfort me with cold. I do not ask you much. I beg cold comfort. And you are so straight and so ungrateful. You deny me that. Oh, that there were some virtue in my fears that might relieve you. Oh, the salt in them is hot within me. It's a hell in there. The poison is a fiend confined to tyrannize on unreprievable condemned blood. Enter the bastard. I am scalded with my violent motion and spleen of speed to see your majesty. Oh, cousin, thou art come to set mine eye. The tackle of my heart is cracked and burned and all the shrouds wherewith my life should sail are turned to one thread one little hair my heart hath one poor string to stay it by which holds but till thy news be uttered and then all this thou seest is but a clod and module of confounded royalty the dauphin is preparing hitherward or heaven he knows how we shall answer him for in a night, the best part of my powers I upon advantage did remove, wherein the whales all unwarily devoured by the unexpected blood. King John dies. You breathe these dead news in as dead an ear. My liege, my lord, but now a king, now thus. Even so must I run on, and even so stop. What surety of the world, what hope, what stay, when this was now a king and now is clay? Art thou gone so? I do but stay behind to do the office for thee of revenge, and then my soul shall wait on thee to heaven, as it on earth hath been thy servant still. 
Now, now, you stars that move in your right spheres, where be your powers? Show now your mended faiths and instantly return with me again to push destruction and perpetual shame out of the weak door of our fainting land. Straight let us seek, or straight we shall be sought. The Dauphin rages at our very heels. It seems you know not, then, so much as we. The Cardinal Pandolf is within at rest, who half an hour since came from the Dauphin and brings from him such offers of our peace as we with honor and respect may take with purpose presently to leave this war. He will the rather do it when he sees ourselves well sinewed to our defense. Nay, it is in a manner done already, for many carriages he hath dispatched to the seaside and put his cause in quarrel to the disposing of the cardinal, with whom yourself, myself, and other lords, if you think meet, this afternoon will post to consummate this business happily. Let it be so. And you, my noble prince, with other princes that may best be spared shall wait upon your father's funeral. At Worcester must his body be interred, for so he willed it. Thither shall it then. And happily may your sweet self put on the lineal state and glory of the land, to whom with all submissions on my knee I do bequeath my faithful services and true subjection everlastingly. And the like tender of our love we make to rest without a spot forevermore. I have a kind soul that would give you thanks and knows not how to do it but with tears. Oh, let us pay the time but needful woe, since it hath been beforehand with our griefs. This England never did, nor never shall, lie at the proud foot of a conqueror, but when it first did help to wound itself. Now these her princes are come home again, come the three corners of the world in arms, and we shall shock them. Not shall make us rue if England to itself do rest but true. Exempt. Guys, that was so good. <laughs> it does. Yay. King John. And thus ends the conflicts of England and all of Europe. Forever. <laughs> Guys, I had no idea I liked that play. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before. <laughs> yeah. It has some fantastic I, speeches in it. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll go on record, knowing it's full recorded, that uh, I didn't think this play was as good as it was. <laughs> Are you the reason? Yeah, no. I, we all I thought it was it. bad? Did we just listen to